The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of Ephesians with me. Ephesians chapter 5. When you have it, stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. You have it? All right. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You may be seated. Well, Nikki and I were out last week celebrating 25 years of marriage. I know you're clapping for Nikki. (laughs) Yeah, pray for Nikki, yes. We had the uh, privilege of vacationing in Hilton Head, and uh, it was a delight. And uh, while we were there, it was interesting. We were approached by many people, and you know they they asked the typical que- typical question. Well, hey, why are you visiting Hilton Head? What are you here celebrating? And so, upon hearing that we were observing our 25th anniversary, people were flabbergasted. They applauded us because, sadly, that milestone is an anomaly become an anomaly. It's not the norm in the Western world, is it? Today, I just want us to look, I thought it would be appropriate in light of my anniversary to to look biblically at how we can have a blessed in Christ-exalting marriage. I don't think our culture has a high enough view of marriage. And so I want to just look at what the Bible says about it and and how we can bless the Lord and exalt His name through our marriages. I love the story of a man who was asked the secret to his long marriage. He replies, well, we go to a restaurant twice a week, a little candlelight dinner, soft music, and then a slow ride home. I go on Monday, she goes on Fridays. <laughs> you know, I do not believe that avoidance is the best prescription for a healthy marriage. So today through the passage, let's just consider what it looks like, what, what drives a healthy, fulfilling 
Christ-exalting marriage. And I think a very important question that we need to address that we don't talk uh, nearly enough about is what is God's ultimate purpose for marriage? We know a lot of good things about marriage. For instance, we know statistically that marriage is good for the happiness of individuals. And though if you're single here, I want to stress that you can live a godly, full, and purposeful life, there are many benefits to marriage, such as greater accountability, the help of navigating uh, through tough situations that life will throw at you, illness, loss, other difficulties. There's sexual fulfillment, there's companionship, and there are many other great benefits. Dr. Keller, we've got a book in our lobby, we actually might be sold out, but it's called The Meeting of Marriage, the best book I've ever read outside of the Bible on marriage. And uh, he writes that during the last two decades, research shows that people who are married consistently show much higher degrees of satisfaction with their lives than those who are single, divorced, or living with a partner. So suffice to say, marriage is good for the individual. Marriage, we know, is also good for the family. Keller points out that, that also that uh, research shows that children who grow up in married two-parent family homes have two to three times more positive life outcomes than those who do not. Is it any wonder why the devil wants to attack the home? So marriage is good for the individual. It's good for the family, but it's also good for the community. Focus on the family uh, in their compelling article, <clears throat> Why It Matters, is on point when they assess that the institution of marriage is foundational to the fabric of society as it supports the children and the family, which then supports all the other types of social institutions, namely government, education, religion, and economic systems. So marriage serves individual needs, family needs, social needs, but none of these point us to the ultimate mission of marriage or the ultimate purpose of marriage. But before I get there, I, I want to talk for a moment about the ministry of marriage, all right, the ministry of marriage. So when I talk about ministry, I'm talking about the God-given call of a husband and wife to serve one another. How are you doing at that? It's popular today to go into marriage <clears throat> with a me mentality. That's been birthed out of this Western individualism that I harp on so much. Some go into marriage perhaps simply looking for sexual fulfillment or security or financial gain. The list could go on and on. It's essentially saying, listen, this is what I expect the marriage to do for me. Then on the other hand, this is equally as important to bring up, there are some in, in, individuals who go into marriage with the opposite attitude. It's like they love the way serving makes them feel, but here's the, the problem. They want to give, but they themselves do not want to be served. They're altruistic. They give, but they do not want to receive. And here's the problem with that. This type of attitude robs their spouse of the blessing of giving because it is more blessed, blessed to give than to receive. Amen? So both of these extremes, I believe, are really unhealthy. Marriage only works 
when a husband and wife know who they are in Jesus Christ. And the relationship then becomes a healthy balance of giving and receiving, of serving and being served. And this is the type of kind of dual submission and servanthood that the Bible calls us to. So let me just summarize the uh, ministry of marriage in a nutshell. Here it is. The husband and wife are both called to imitate Christ within the marriage, yet in different ways. Okay, both husband and wife, you are called to imitate Christ in your marriage, but in different ways. And this is radical, by the way, and it's countercultural. The only way it can happen without producing resentment is for husband and wife to be full of God's Spirit in love with Jesus Christ. So let's begin by looking at the responsibility of the wife in Christian marriage. Ladies first, right? And this is where Paul starts, so it's where I will start. Now, let me preface this by saying that this passage has been greatly taken out of context through the years. It's been wrongly used to promote male uh, chauvinism and even tragically abuse. And so what is the role then of the Christian wife? Here it is. It's humble submission. Humble submission. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And that word own is very important. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So if we're going to properly interpret this passage and not misuse it as it's been misused, we've got to understand something about marriage. Number one, actually we've got to understand something about men and women. And, and that would take us all the way back to the book of Genesis where God created men and women equally before him. Men and women have the same value. They are both valued before a holy God. So when we look at the creation account, we find that God created male and female. He blessed both male and female. He spoke and gave commands to both male and female. He gave dominion over the earth to both male and female. And we also see that God created male and female, hear me, distinctly. Listen to me, as counterculture as this might be, gender roles are not incidental. They're not incidental at home, they're not incidental in the church. God has made us differently, and He's given us different roles, and that might be offensive to some, but God knows what He's doing. Gender roles are not incidental. So God has a specific role for the wife, and He has a specific role for the husband, and if we hold to a biblical worldview, and I hope you do, these roles are non-negotiable. So a Christian wife, here's how she is to imitate Christ. It is through humble submission. A Christian wife is to imitate Christ through humble submission. Well, how did Christ demonstrate humble submission? Flip over with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2.
Philippians chapter 2, and let me begin reading in verse 5. Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. So was Jesus equal with God? Yes. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus is and always has been an equal part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can we agree on that? Yet in great humility, he came into this world to be born in the likeness of men as this Jewish baby, and he was obedient to the Father in humble submission, even to the point of death on the cross. And this is the way in which a wife is to follow Christ in her marriage. Here it is. She is equal with her husband in the eyes of God, just as Christ is equal. But she humbly submits to the husband's leadership for the glory of God. It has nothing to do with her incapability or capability. It has to do with order. God is not the God of confusion. And so many homes are confused because the roles are getting mixed up. This has nothing to do with equality. It has to do with God's design and order. You know, we listen, I was a youth pastor for many years, and I'll tell you, there were homes where, number one, that the husband didn't lead, number two, the wife didn't lead, but the teenagers led. I've seen four- and five-year-old kids lead a house. I don't know why, I, I can't understand why anybody never wants to go out with us for dinner. It's like, because your kid rules the roost. <laughs> They're crazy. <laughs> So a, a, a wife is to demonstrate this humble submission. A husband and wife are to work together to manage the home. Okay, this doesn't mean that the wife gets no say. That's ridiculous. Each person should be heard. I mean, when it comes to financial decisions or child rearing or whatever it might be, husband and wife, you work together. You both get a voice, but ultimately... Husbands, let me just add, you would do well to listen to your wife. Amen. Jan agrees with me. <laughs> Bud's shaking his head the other way. I don't know what's going on here. I offer marriage counseling. <laughs> listen, everybody, get every, you know, you, you get a say, both of you. And I would say this, even in our home, we value our children's opinion. You, but ultimately, it's not the kid who makes the final decisions. It's not, it's not the, uh, the, the wife. It, it is the husband. Why? Because God holds him accountable. God holds him accountable. So he is the leader of that home. So a godly wife, according to uh, the last verse in this chapter, should respect, respect the God-given headship role of her husband. And women, let me just say, that's probably not a weight you want to bear. <laughs> like, it's not easy. 
the kind of, this is important now, so that's the woman's role, but the kind of leadership the husband is to, to uh, provide, it's not tyrannical. It's not oppressive. It's a lot different than what we see in the majority of homes, and dare I say even Christian homes. So what is the role of the Christian husband? How does he emulate Christ? Here it is, through servant leadership. Not tyranny. <laughs> Servant leadership. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Ladies, let me just ask you, if your husband were to lead in this way, would you have any trouble submitting to his leadership? I don't think so. You're scared to answer, right? We just, frankly, we don't see often enough this kind of servant leadership in the home. Listen, the way Lane, uh, Wayne Smith, a great preacher, said this. He said, if a man opens the car door for his wife, you can be sure of one thing. Either the car is new or the wife is. You know it's true. That's why you're laughing. <laughs> Men... We ought to serve our wives. We ought to treat them like queens. Servant leadership means a husband is to love his wife. You hear me say it all the time. In declaration and in, do you know it? Good. Demonstration. We can mean, as I've said many times, many things when we talk about love. The ancient Greeks, what did they have? Six different words. For our word love, the Greek word used here is the word you're familiar with, likely. It's the word agape. And agape is this selfless kind of love. And C.S. Lewis said it's a matter of the will, not emotion. Agape love is a matter of will, not, the emotion, not emotion. Friends, romantic feelings in your marriage will come and go. That's normal. But this kind of love, this agape love, friends, it's stable. Because it's a decision. It is a matter of the will, not feeling. And agape love, here's what it means. You, it means you act loving even when you don't feel particularly loving. And I'm preaching because we call Sunday, the hour before church is called the unholy hour. Because I know what it's like getting young kids together. You're trying to get your husband out of the house. On the way to church, you're arguing and fighting, and, and you know, and then it's like you come on, we gotta pull it together. And then it's like, how great is our God? And you're stepping away from your spouse. I see you. Listen, agape love, it means I'm preaching today. Agape love means that you act loving. Even when you want to. Ring his neck, all right? That's what it is. It's call of love. It's a command. It's something we're to obey. You cannot command feelings, but you can command actions. And Keller rightly states that uh, 
You will fall out of like with your spouse. Some of you experience that today. But you have to be loving even when you don't feel like it. And here's the great news. C.S. Lewis believed, and I think rightly so, that when you act loving, loving feelings will follow. Uh, I heard a radio show that had been recorded from, uh, of his right after uh, World War II. And uh, some of the, the uh, Messianic Jews, Christian Jews, were, were asking Lewis, Hey, how do we love, how do we love the Nazis, our enemies, like after the horrors that happened? And he said, act loving. And he said he found that after talking to some Nazis, the opposite was actually true. There were Nazis who uh, were recruited and, and commanded to do things, and they themselves had no beef with the Jews. But the more they acted hatefully, the more they began to hate them. See, our, our feelings will follow our actions. You want to bless marriage? Act loving. Don't wait to say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm going to wait till I, f- I feel really in love with my spouse and then I'm going to start serving her. No, it's like, act it now. It's not disingenuous, by the way, because you're called to do it no matter how you feel. Then he says this, uh, Paul writes, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wow. This idea of sitting on the couch, having your wife wait on you hand and foot, it's not the image we get here, is it? That's not what it means. Called a sacrifice for our wives, men. As Christ loved the church, how did he love the church? He died for her. A Christian husband, quite literally, should be willing to lay down his life in every part of him for the good of his wife the good of his family. This is in direct opposition to any kind of male tyranny. Do you see that? A husband is called to love his wife as his own body. That means that he nourishes his wife mainly through the word, through spiritual leadership. The women should have a theological voice in the home. The women certainly can pray, but men, it shouldn't be your wife having to drag you out of bed to go to church. You ought to be the spiritual leader of the home and say, listen, Sunday is the Lord's day. It's called that in Scripture. It's the first day of the week, the day that Jesus was raised. And it's a day set aside for worship and to commemorate the resurrection of our Lord. Every Sunday, not just Easter Sunday. And men, you ought to get with your wives and with your children. You ought to say, hey, we are going to church. We're going to church. We're going to have devotions. We're going to study the scriptures together. We're going to pray together. Men, it is your job to be the spiritual leader of your home, and it's not easy. One of the greatest pieces of advice that that Don and Lynn and and their marriage ministry will give you, uh, two words, pray together. Is that true? Actually, I'll add one more. Pray together daily. That's right. And that is really awkward if you've not done it. But it will get easier. Do it and stay at it. Amen? You're quiet now. That's the ministry of marriage. Let me move quickly on to the mission of marriage. What is God's ultimate purpose? This is profound. Look at verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. 
which means moms and dads, you've got to be willing to cut the umbilical cord and let your son or daughter go. The two shall become one flesh. And here's what he writes. This is so interesting. So he's pulling from Genesis there, right? And then he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his own wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. What is the mystery of marriage? Isn't this a bit perplexing, isn't it? What does Paul mean here? Well, the, the mystery, uh, when, when it comes to the, the Bible, it's, it's the plan of God that has at once, one time been hidden and is now being revealed. We are created as human beings, you know this from Genesis, in the image of God. We are made, in other words, to display His glory. You know, the Bible says that the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? You and I are supposed to declare the glory of God. We're just supposed to be a reflection of God, reflections of God's glory. And Christian marriage is made to be a reflection of God's glory to the world. Marriage was created ultimately, get this, to be a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. You know, I've had the privilege of officiating countless weddings, too many to count. And when I'm the presiding minister, I get the huge and unique opportunity of standing. You guys are facing their backs like I, they're right here. Their mugs are right in my face, right? Like two feet from me. And I get to see their eyes well up with tears, their nervous hands shaking, and my nervous hands shaking, the glow of their countenance as they celebrate one of the greatest days of their lives. And I cannot help but think of the joy that you and I will experience one day when the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, returns for his bride, the church, and this eternal union that will be the ultimate wedding will be actualized. What a glorious thought. You know, when we uh, have a wedding, there's always a, normally a reception dinner. And that points forward to the great marriage supper of the Lamb that we will experience with our dear Lord. So what is this earthly marriage pointing to? It's pointing to Christ and His covenant relationship with the church. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. So that means that the husband and wife role should not be determined by culture, but by the Creator. As the heavens declare the glory of God, marriage is designed to serve as a powerful metaphor of Christ's love for His church. And friends, I just believe when we live out our lives with that mission, our lives without, with this mission in mind, I just believe we'll experience the blessing of what marriage is meant to be. Our, our culture, I don't get it, they see marriage as a burden. It's meant to be a blessing. So I thought I would close this out. Zach, you can go ahead and come up. I thought I'd close this out. I'm just going to list these, by the way. Um, by listing 25 rules for marriage that I've learned over 25 years of marriage. Is Nikki in here? <laughs> I still don't, do not live these out perfectly. There, there she is. Shoot. Um, <laughs> 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 
Hey, Mike, make sure she's listening. <laughs> no, really, 25 rules for marriage that I've learned over 25 years of marriage, and there will be a blog um, unpacking these a little bit more that will go out about 2 o'clock today. Um, I hope these help you out. These are things I wish I would have known a long time ago. You ready? Take the word divorce out of your vocabulary. Never let your children come between you and your spouse. Number three, don't argue to win battles. Argue to solve problems, which means considering that you might be the one who is wrong. Number four, love demands confrontation. Don't sweep things under the rug. Number five, have regular, meaningful conversations. Number six, put the darn cell phones down. Number seven, go on a date with your spouse every week, even if that means a candlelight pizza dinner at home. Number eight, daily pray and study scripture together. Credit to Don and Lynn. Number nine, comb your hair and put on some nice clothes. Just because you've hooked him or her doesn't mean you should now let yourself go. Somebody's going to thank me for that one after service. Number 10, speak well of your spouse in front of your children and others. Number 11, carefully guard your words when you're angry. You cannot take them back. I don't care what the old adage says, words do hurt you and they'll hurt your spouse. Find a shared hobby that you're both passionate about and enjoy it together. Number 13, stay out of debt outside of your mortgage. If you don't have cash for it, you don't need it. Number 14, hang out with other Christian couples. Number 15, don't question whether you married the right person. If you're married, he or she is the right person. Number 16, address issues before they become unbearable. Number 17, live healthy lives. Your physical well-being impacts every other aspect of your life. Number 18, do ministry together. Serve together. Number 19, faithfully attend church together. Number 20, act loving even when you don't feel loving. Number 21, pick your battles. Not every issue is, on, is one on which you should die. Number 22, laugh together, weep together, celebrate together. Number 23, honor your father and mother without letting them dictate your marriage. Leave and cleave. Number 24, give your spouse specific words of appreciation and encouragement. In other words, don't just say, honey, I appreciate you. Say, hey, you are a great mother. You're a great cook. You're a great provider. Number 25, work intently on reflecting Christ to others through your marriage. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. And uh, again, if you're here and you're single, um, listen, marriage is not the pinnacle of spirituality. Your, your relationship with Christ can completely and totally fulfill you. As a matter of fact, Paul said that it's a higher calling to not be married. Um, and uh, he was grateful for his ability to, to focus 100% on ministry. But if you are married, listen, marriages are under attack even in this church. I can't tell you how many uh, people have come to me over the last year 
Uh, COVID was hard on people. Just goodness gracious, you're stuck in the house 24-7 with each other. And uh, so if you're here and you're with your spouse, I want to ask you to take their hand. I want to pray for you. Um, come on, hug, hug, your, hug their neck. Let me just pray for marriages. But get up here with your spouse. <laughs> or, or yeah, you go back. All right, you have your spouse. Some of you have spouses working in other places. Yeah, let me just pray for you. Is that all right? God, thank you for the great blessing of marriage. What a great God you are. In your divine wisdom, you saw that it was not good that man should be alone. And so you gave Adam Eve as a helpmate. God, I'm so grateful for my wife, and I know every man in here is grateful for his wife. And our wives are grateful for their husbands. But Lord, we don't always treat our spouses like we're thankful. It is so easy to focus on the negative. Oh God, I pray today that we would do a better job at reflecting Christ's love for the church through our marriages. I pray today, oh God, that you would bless our marriages, that as we submit to you, that you would bring us as husbands and wives closer together, that you would in this church help couples uh, encourage one another in their marriages. Forgive us for our past mistakes. This is a new day. I pray that our marriages would be blessings, that we would speak well of each other, speak kindly to each other, that we would spend time together, that we would put the cell phones down and truly connect, that we would study the scriptures together, that we would pray together, that we would serve our children together, that we would stand together in Christ. The world would be better for it. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.